mindfulness mode. You have an indomitable spirit that you are not your fear. You're not your raw emotions. You're not your automated thoughts. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to tell you that I'm here today with a woman who works with organizations and leaders around the world on how to use the science of behavioral change and human potential to build healthy mental health cultures that help prevent burnout and promote organizational and human sustainability. She's the author of a new book called Worth the Risk. And the subtitle is Learn to Microdose Bravery to Grow Resilience, Connect More, and Offer Yourself to the World. Now, this book has already won an award. And, oh, she is also the host of Cracking Up, where therapy meets comedy. So this is a show that she is doing on a regular basis in a comedy club. And, I mean, there's just so much to tell you about Dr. Chris. I'm here today with Dr. Kristen Lee, also known as Dr. Chris. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview. So I'm here with Dr. Kristen Lee, and I'm very excited. Dr. Lee, are you in mindfulness mode today? I believe I am. Well, Dr. Chris, tell us what mindfulness means to you. Thank you for the question. Mindfulness is something that I've studied a lot and I practice, and so I have sort of a unique definition, one that I think is based on a lot of the science, but then one that I've sort of been creative with as well. So the first way I think about mindfulness is it means to live a what is life, not a what if life. And what I mean by that is really focusing in on the moment, what is true in a moment, what is possible in a moment, how can I find comfort or cultivate awe in a moment or practice gratitude and not letting the mind get into a mode of either ruminating around the past or having anticipatory anxiety about the future. So it's that ability to really not be judgmental with ourselves and one another and really leverage what is possible. And speaking of that anxiety, have you ever had a time in your life when you had to struggle with that? Indeed, Bruce. So I am a person with a lived experience of anxiety and depression. And another way that I might describe that to you is that I can be very hard on myself. I can overthink things. I can worry that I'm letting someone down. And I just tend to have boundless energy. I'm very committed to the work I do. And I live my life with a lot of enthusiasm and fervor. And what that can do is kind of create that revved up way of living. And so for me, coming to mindfulness was very important because I think initially, like many people, I think I had these ideals, like I would need to go out into the woods for three weeks or like go to a silent retreat or sit still for a very long time. And that really didn't feel conducive to how I'm wired or my life circumstances. Luckily, I was able to unlearn a lot about about what I initially thought, like the stereotypes of mindfulness and come to a place where I could, you know, tailor the practices that really would help be calming and also energizing for my own brain and and my mind, body, and soul, really. Well, Dr. Chris, I know you help a lot of people with courage. What does courage mean to you and how do you help people find courage? I think, you know, speaking of anxiety, we're, we're marinating in a lot of trauma and fear right now. 
there's a lot of grave concerns and we've dealt with, you know, much enormity. And one of the ways that I really, you know, work, uh, whether in my classroom or my public platform, is to help people adopt a more resilient identity and a courageous identity and to know that despite how society sometimes pitches courage, it's not often the grand gestures that we do, but it's the small cumulative things that we can do to enact bravery in our lives that can nourish us and give us more momentum. So I think the first thing I want people to think about is to know that they're not alone. I think in moments with such gravity, or if you are like me and you struggle with overthinking or overachievement or anxiety, you know, you might think you've got to like do an awful lot to overhaul the circumstances of life right now. But finding courage is really being very strategic about, again, leveraging our locus of control, focusing on what is possible and putting our energy and effort into that. Dr. Chris, you're the author of the book, Reset, Make the Most of Your Stress. And I know that book has made a lot of impact on the world. Can you tell us what prompted you to write that book? Indeed, Bruce. So I think one of the the main things is that we oftentimes think anxiety is all bad or that we, you know, can somehow skirt stress or avoid it or just manage it. Um, But what my research and my clinical experience has taught me is that we can look into it in a deeper way and leverage the stress. So for example, let's say you're stressed out because at work you're feeling overworked or disconnected from coworkers. That would to me reveal that you are a conscientious person and you value your contributions at work, you care about your work. And so that book was really a beginning guide um, for anyone who you know really wants some solid self-care and mindfulness practices to integrate them and, you know, to recognize that stress can be leveraged and that we can look at the deeper meaning behind it in order to, uh, again, focus on what we can do and to, to maximize our well-being. And Dr. Chris, was that the first book that you wrote? It is, Bruce. So that was uh, published in 2014. Um, I want you to know, I think for me, um, One of the most sacred identities I hold is as a writer. I've always enjoyed writing. It's always been something I've just loved to do since since I was very young. And I think, you know, I had worked for so long, um, just as you have, you know, supporting people in their grappling and their contemplation and their reckoning with stress and their own life circumstances. And I just feel like the, the power of psychoeducation, the power of understanding how our brains work and you know having access to that is very important to me. And I think the other little footnote I'll offer is that um, I was the first in my family to have the opportunity to go to college. I went to a state university and I felt like um, at that time I was going through a lot of acuity with my own mental health. And I felt like that process of being part of an intellectual community and of having access to education, it was very therapeutic and beneficial for my life. And then of course, going on to get my clinical training, those things were not only helping me advance professionally, but to heal personally. And so writing for me, um, like I love it. I do a lot of different types of writing, um, but I think it's so meaningful to know that it could resonate with someone who might be grappling in similar ways 
and that it could give them some evidence-based strategies to be able to stay and do well. Right. Dr. Chris, can you tell us about the most recent thing you've written? I, I can. I'm really happy um, and grateful. My my most recent book just hatched. I say hatched because it has a little bird's nest on the cover. Um, so I just kept thinking it's hatched today. So it hatched on June 14th, 2022. It's called Worth the Risk, How to Microdose Bravery to Grow Resilience, Connect More, and Offer Yourself to the World. Wow, exciting. So tell me about some of the feedback you've received already as a result of publishing this book. It's just, it's a vulnerable thing to publish, even as I've said how much I enjoy writing and I want it to impact people. It's still going to be a little bit of a nail biter. Um, but I've just received so many, you know, just illustrations of people saying that it really helped them, particularly at this moment in time where courage is really calling us, right? And, you know, um, Lots of folks have just offered generous feedback and it's listed, you know, on the Amazon page, but an example would be um, Scott, Scott Barry Kaufman, um, who hosts the psychology podcast, just, you know, he really just talked about it being a bold blend of science and story. And I think any of that feedback that comes around um, the storytelling, I, I do integrate a lot of humor into it, but really also in a way that is pedagogy, like that can teach these concepts of modern brain science. Um, so that's meant a lot. And the last thing I'll say is I, I'm like, I have a complete obsession with Noam Chomsky. I, I just love his work. I've always just been enthralled by, you know, his, his ways of thinking. And he has a quote, he says, we should be look, searching for, we shouldn't be searching for heroes. We should be searching for good ideas. And I just love that. And then recently I, I learned that the book was nominated as the next big idea for 2022 um, through the through the next uh, big idea book club. And that's Malcolm Cladwell, Daniel Pink, Susan Cain and Adam Grant. And they're kind of my heroes. Like, And so it was kind of like this funny moment of rumbling because I think for me, it's not about like metrics or like outside validation. There's a deeper purpose for me, but that meant a tremendous amount to me that um, they had recognized, you know, this this piece of work as something that could really be meaningful and, and the ideas resonated. Wow. Congratulations. That must be so exciting. I'm, I'm like so humble. I was like very, I had a very funny reaction. I can be a little bit quirky, but I was just like, oh, you know, and I was trying to not get myself too worked up about it, but it was just something I was grateful for. And I think it's a little bit connected to what I said earlier, Bruce, how being the first in my family to go to college, I think there's been a part of me in my professional trajectory where I've struggled with imposter syndrome. And then I know you've done such legacy work in bullying even. And I think I, I got made fun of. I was definitely awkward. Like, you know, the, the just, I never felt like I fit in earlier in my life. And I think writing was a, a haven for me and something helpful. And I think that, that those experiences even helped me develop empathy and my own lived experiences with anxiety. Um, so I think for me, like reading and like hearing people's stories have had such a deep influence on me. So to think that even if, and not to sound trite, but even if it was like just a small amount of people where it really helped them unlearn those conceptions of themselves that were unhealthy and unhelpful, that means everything to me. 
Right. Well, Dr. Chris, thanks for mentioning that about the bullying, because I was going to ask you a question about that. And if you had a specific story about some time in your life, whether it was in childhood or adulthood, where you did feel bullied and where mindfulness would have possibly made a difference. Yeah. I mean, again, I think that it was very commonplace, like in, in middle school. And I was definitely like very keenly aware of you know, just the bullying that was happening. So I was kind of that that loud person that would stand up if I saw someone being hurt. Um, and so I think that sticking the neck out kind of thing would lead to me then like being subject to it. And I think at th those times, um, I think we've come a long way certainly and just understanding the impact on one's life when these things happen and how to help teach the social emotional skills and, and of kindness. And those things weren't necessarily present on the school bus in the 1980s for me. <laughs> and so yeah. I think that mindfulness would have helped me probably be a little bit more self-compassionate, um, that it would have maybe helped me deal with that override of anxiety and fear that I was stewing in in those moments. And I think it would have helped me maybe also tap into impermanence, like. I, I love the exercise of thinking like, what would your what would your past self say to yourself or what would you want your future self to say to the now? And I think looking back, if I could look back, I would have just said to myself, this is going to help you develop your empathy. This is going to help you be more mindful in how you show up and you contribute to the world and that you're not, don't internalize the messages of the, the meanness of the people like kind of you know, doing this kind of bullying that it doesn't define you. Right. I want to take you back. I want to take you back to a moment in time when you stepped on the TEDx stage and you were about to talk about the risk you must take, which was the, the topic. But how did you feel at that moment? And what did you feel about what it took to get there? Well, I think um, I it's, it's what I talk about when I talk about microdosing bravery. I've had the opportunity. I took my first public platform when I was 16 years old. I had a teacher who noticed how chatty I was and she thought, let's channel this into something more productive because I was probably disturbing class. <laughs> um, and then from that moment on, I just became enthralled with the idea that we could use our voices for social change and impact. And so I think it wasn't just getting on that red rod the first time and sweating it out. It was a it was a building up and, and seeing the power of our words and of teaching and of human connection and, and you know, co-inspiration. Um, and then, you know, that moment in time, um, giving the TEDx talk, it was a moment in which I just felt looking at the needs of the world, looking at how many people had come to me um, with so much courage to share their own vulnerabilities. It made me really want to take that public stand and kind of blow the whistle on all the, the, you know, inauthenticity and the fakeness and the curation of ourselves in today's cultures and really help us um, reimagine fear and disclosure and owning our dual narratives of life that on one hand, we could have very deep struggles, very dark emotions, very difficult lived experiences. And on the other hand, we could be really showing up with a lot of fervor and doing well and in really bringing a lot of positive influence. So it was a great moment in the community there, um, the audience, it was like the whole theme of it was risk change. 
um, it was just a moment to really connect. And I think everybody was so receptive to these ideas and the story around recovery and, and reckoning with, again, our duality. Um, and I just loved, I love the experience. And I think it's helped, um, you know, bring some of this awareness to more people around the world, which means so much to me. Right. Dr. Chris, if we could now jump to today and you were to step onto that TEDx stage and you were to speak not only to fellow citizens of the world, but fellow Americans and specifically fellow women Americans, what would your message be? Who well, I think right now we are just dealing with severe fear and concern and horror, right? And, and there's been an awful lot to contend with. And I think, of course, the reaction is going to be fear um, in, in a tremendous way. It's not to be minimized or oversimplified. I think at this moment in time, I do believe so much in the power of organizing, um, of coming together, uh, really advancing the human condition through human rights, um, and I think right now, too, another thing is that we can expend our energy that we have every right to be, you know, experience difficult emotions um, through this kind of turmoil. But I think that we can also somehow remaneuver that in productive ways, one in which we really, and I think this is a scientist in me, but look at what we can do to, again, address issues of systemic isms and of poverty and of making society better and to help mitigate risk factors um, as well. So I think just the, the message would be consistent that we need to move from me to we. We need to use our critical thinking to stand up against injustice and then, you know, really be thoughtful about how do we harness the power of many interventions and many um, structures we can put into place to improve society. Right. Could you talk about someone you've worked with, someone that you've helped to transform their life to a new place? Sure. I think I've just been blown away. I've learned so much from those I've served, both in my therapy room and my classroom, and even leaders around the world. I do a lot of consulting uh, with organizations who are trying to foster better mental health cultures. Even speaking of bullying, those power over dynamics that have existed in companies and organizations can be hard to dismantle and, you know, kind of get rid of some of those old paradigms of um, punitive. So I would say sometimes it's hard to like pinpoint um, one specific case example, but I would say, let me think, I, I feel like, um, I, I think about, I'll give an example of many students, but it's kind of like a composite that come to study where I teach in Boston. And we have um, amongst the highest um, international student population, and actually, I'll give, I'll give one very specific example. So it's oftentimes across the world, across culture, mental health is often very stigmatized. No one wants to cry uncle and say it's, you know, like I'm at my limit. And there's this definite cult of overachievement that permeates. There's a lot of pressure, particularly for students who leave their family and communities of origin and come to the to U.S. to study. 
And we were having this session around resilience and discovering again that duality of our situations that on one hand we could be having pretty intense struggles and at the other hand we could be you know very remarkable and what we're still getting done um and this one student just raised their hand and they and they originated um they originate from china and it was a predominantly chinese audience and they just said i was so stressed out with my mental health i decided to go to a psychiatrist and it really helped me and like you could hear the whole room there was like it could like there was a, a pin could have dropped and you could you know you could have heard it and then it was like a big sigh of relief. And that like, to me was just such a courageous thing to do because of some of those stigmatizations and the taboos around mental health. And I felt like that kind of gesture was very freeing for everyone who had the opportunity to hear that. So I think just anything like that, where people sometimes like believe really hard things about themselves based on what they've been taught, and then they can see themselves in a more self-compassionate way and get the help they need. And then when they go on to share that, that contagion and like that just heartfelt experience that was transformative, that's something that really inspires me. But I've just mm. seen so many people, I think, you know, with change and I study change, I study behavior change, I teach it. I think that sometimes we can, you know, be under the illusion like, oh, it was him just like saying that in front of everyone. Maybe he had done that a few times in intimate conversations and built up that momentum of courage. Um, I would again like call back to the TEDx thing for me that was also like it wasn't the first time I had had public disclosure. And so I just think um, the more we can get honest around our truths and our lived experiences, the more that can really inspire those around us and those we influence and lead. Wow, that's a beautiful story. Yeah. As we move forward in the interview, Dr. Chris, I want to ask you five quick questions. So uh, just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence for you? Oh, so Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, I love this is one of my favorites. Um, and my favorite story is the one of the tangerine. Just really like being mindful and savoring it, smelling it, experiencing the tangerine. That helped my busy brain like really involve myself more in the sensory experience. And that was very helpful. And his words are so poetic and beautiful. They are. Tell us the name of the book that you just held up for those of us not watching. This is called The Miracle of Mindfulness. By Take Not Han. Thank I you for mentioning of it. One in each of my homes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, number two, how has mindfulness affected your emotions or how you deal with your emotions? It's definitely helped me be, again, more self compassionate, less anxious, more focused, more measured. And I think it's just helped me create those reprieves or those air pockets in my life that I need because I tend to just be an overworker. I love what I do and there's a lot of need in the world. So it's just helped me be more present with myself and not letting my mind be a runaway train. Right. Let's talk about breathing. Tell us what breathing means to you in your life and maybe talk about a breathing practice that you use. Yes, again, I mentioned how my mind can go askew sometimes. So I love a box breathing method. So it's just a nice four count holding and, you know, then and, and releasing. And that's just the reason I like it so much is that it's sustainable because sometimes if I make things too grand and too complex, I might stay with it for a while, but then fall off track. 
Right. And are there any apps that you use or have used that have helped you with mindfulness? You know, I like Calm and Buddhify, and those help me start to get acclimated to practice. But I tend to almost, this is like a tiny part. I mean, I know some people, everyone's different. This is just my experience. I try to be off the screen as much as I can because life warrants that I'm on it a lot. So I tend to like almost think the mindfulness apps are like slightly ironic. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's been really great talking to you. The one thing I also wanted to ask you about is meditation. Do you meditate in your life? I do. So I do meditate and I find that helpful. But I also have things I sort of like, I, I kind of like put the concepts of mindfulness and then psychological flow together, which they're very interconnected. So I definitely like have my quiet, sitting, resting meditation. But then I actually play basketball. I just shoot like by myself, I shoot hoops. And because that's something I enjoy so much and was part of my childhood, it invokes that childhood spirit. At like, I just go, I'm just really in the moment, uh, similar to like writing or other things that I do and, and performing comedy, believe it or not, is like a, a big part of my mindfulness practice because when you perform, you're so in the moment. It's so immersive and it really brings out the best in me. Oh, I'm really interested in that. I'm, I'm uh, thinking, you know, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about that comedy. When did you first start and, and how, did you, how did you move forward with the comedy? Because that's something that a lot of people find very challenging. Well, I, it's something I've always been obsessed with my whole life and I've always wanted to do stand-up comedy. And as I've said, I've always done very serious topics of speaking and I've always used humor as a connecting force. So during the pandemic, I know it could sound absurd. It just felt like there was so much trauma everywhere you turn. So I decided to flip my model. And I started like years ago with improv comedy. Then I did some training in stand-up and storytelling. And then I just decided that I would, when it became safe, launch the show live in Boston, Massachusetts. It's called Cracking Up, Where Therapy Meets Comedy. And uh, the Lyric Stage Company of Boston has just been a fantastic partner. I think they thought it was interesting when I came to the door. I said, can I rent out the theater? I want to start this comedy show. And I'm sure they were a little bit, you know, wondering how this was going to go. But we ended up having lots of folks come in. You know, we filled the houses. And now I have a permanent um, show at the theater um, through 2023, you know, just and, and it's all to raise money for the National Alliance on Mental Illness and a coma project, which is a nonprofit focused on BIPOC mental health access. So the method behind my madness, like, I mean, we could talk a lot about comedy and how, again, it's a it's a laughter is the best medicine and it can be a beautiful teaching tool and a reprieve. But I also think there's a lot of critical thinking and we can use it um, you know, to really like, again, call out issues in society. So that to me is like just so enthralling. Um, but again, it's just so much fun. It's immersive. And I love bringing people together, especially for this kind of cause. And I also, this goes back to access. So many people might not turn up at like a bookstore reading, or they might not turn up um, at a university because of access issues. So another thing I do is I offer copies of my book to the audience members, because I see it as another way 
to get out helpful information around, again, courage, resilience, mindfulness, um, that, that they might not tap into, like, or typically in a comedy show. So I just am trying to really use that creative lens to reach more people and to, you know, create a community where stigma and discrimination is, is mitigated and lessened and we really see our shared humanity. Wow, I'm really glad I asked you that question because I'm fascinated with that part of your life as well. Dr. Chris, your new book is called Worth the Risk. And Mindful Tribe, check out this new book. Get your hands on the new book. And the website is Kristen Lee, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-L-E-E dot so check out the website, Dr. Chris's website. Dr. Chris, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. And I, I just want to ask you as we conclude, do you have a quick word of advice for anyone listening to this podcast today that might be feeling frustrated, feeling filled with anxiety or discouraged? What would your words of advice be? Well, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I would just encourage anyone that is feeling overwhelmed, oversaturated, by anxiety, by the, the travesty in the world is that you have an indomitable spirit, that you are not your fear, you're not your raw emotions, you're not your automated thoughts, you're not your trauma. And there are ways of healing. There's many things you can tap into step-by-step step and strategically to help you heal. Wow, thanks for that. Dr. Chris, thanks for being on Mindfulness Mode today. Likewise, all my best. Thank you so much. Okay, bye now. Bye. Mindful Tribe, thanks again for being a, a listener to the show. Really appreciate it. So if you would uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that can be a big help. And also, you know, maybe you are experiencing some anxiety. Maybe you are experiencing some stress. And maybe this is the day. This is the moment to make up your mind, to reach out. We'll talk about how you can move forward, how we can make things better, how things can be improved. We'll talk about where you've been, where you're going, and possibly hypnosis is something that can help you. And I have helped a lot of people with hypnosis and you could be the next one. So send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and we'll set up a free session so that we can talk about the possibilities. So take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.